Word of God has the power, power, the authority, right? To break anything that the enemy tries to, um, to wrap us up in and tie us down with. The Word of God that can release life and freedom and hope. To release everything that the Lord has planned for us. Once I can see it, you know. Technology. You know, you don't have that problem with this thing. You know, it's very easy to flip it the right direction. Technology, on the other hand, whatever. But uh, we've come here this morning to meet with Jesus. Because, man, this world does everything that it possibly can to try to trip us up and snare us up and weigh us down. But the Lord sets us free. There is freedom in this place. There is newness in this place. And that is our prayer is that, Jesus, you would just release a new hope within us that faith would arise and swallow up every fear every anxiety your peace would rise up your joy would rise up and swallow every area of darkness and depression and oppression the lord you would be who we declare you to be the lord of our lives you have full reign over every area lord take it all in your name amen Amen. All right. Well, last week we celebrated, right, the resurrection of Jesus. He's alive. He's risen. Jesus declared, it is finished. It's finished. It's done. Everything that was required is completely fulfilled. The penalty of all sin has been paid in full. The old covenant, it's been fulfilled. Jesus didn't abolish it. He didn't push it aside. He didn't sweep it under the rug. Jesus didn't negate the value of the Old Testament. Rather, Jesus came and he fulfilled it. He lived it perfectly. So we don't have to. He became the final sacrifice, the Passover lamb, perfect, spotless, blemishless, without sin. And then we become his righteousness through him. He gave us that free gift. The foreshadowing is a shadow no longer because the light of Christ has come. We no longer live in the foreshadowing of the kingdom. We are kingdom people. His presence dwells in us. We live in the reality. And we are still waiting. To, although we've tasted and seen a great deal of his salvation, we're still looking forward to the fullness of it. The fullness of it that we can experience in this lifetime. But the initial disciples, the followers of Christ, after he rose again, they found themselves in an awkward place. And, um, and, and Jesus said it was finished, but the disciples were asking, now what, right? Now what? He said, it's finished, and they're like, okay, it's done, it's complete, and what does that mean for us? Because Jesus left them. And they felt a little alone, a little abandoned, a little down because they had abandoned him in his darkest hour. Jesus had told them many times about what was going to happen. But as you and I know, it doesn't matter how many times God tells us something, we still forget it, right? We forget it. We don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. And it was no different for his disciples. Many times he told them what was going to happen, but they just didn't get it. They didn't understand when he shared it with them then, and they definitely were not understanding it now. It's, it's in that in-between place, that in-between place where 
two things happen. We either fall away from Jesus or we press onward to Jesus. There's no standing still. There's no fence to teeter on. In that in-between place, we're going to do one or the other. We're either going to fall away in doubt about what God has said, or we're going to stand on what God has said, and we're going to press on, and we're not going to relent until it comes to pass. One or the other is going to happen, right? And, and I love these little emojis. We're either going to end up this way or this way, right? The choice is ours. The choice is ours. What are we going to do? His disciples were in that in-between place. This is the place where our faith is tested. It is put to the test. And it is either proven genuine or it's proven to be diminished and eventually come to nothing. It's going to either build up or it's going to fade away. It's in that in-between place where we don't always see God and we don't always understand what he's doing in our lives. And that's okay. You know, God doesn't require us to understand. I'm so thankful for that. So you can just brush that off. <laughs> that, that, that guilt that I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't even see you right now, God. It's okay. God doesn't require you to understand or to see. He requires you to trust. He requires you to trust in that in-between place. Let's flash back for a moment. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. And we're going to be reading quite a bit from the book of John and Luke this morning. Because there are powerful parallels between the place that the disciples were in and the place where us disciples are probably at now in some area of our lives. All of us have something in our life that we are in that in-between place on. Between God said and it actually happens. We're in that in-between place where we don't see God. We don't understand what he's doing. And it can be a frustrating, lonely place at times. But perfectly it won't be after this morning. So John 15, starting verse 26, it says, When the Advocate, capital A, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning testifying it's something we have to do it's one thing to believe in your heart but what do we have to do to be saved believe in your heart and confess with your mouth right the church is not supposed to be this quiet reverent place open your mouth shout it out even when your mind doesn't believe it, declare the truth of God. Even when everything inside of your body, every fiber of your being is like, you know what, this is just baloney. I don't even know if I believe this right now. You know what, speak it anyways. And guess what happens? Yeah. All of a sudden, things start to shift because you're declaring truth. And then that, that lie just seems to fade away. It can't stand when you start proclaiming the truths from God's word. Jesus, in fact, he said this in John, and then we continue in the very next verse in John 16. It says, all of this I've told you so that you won't fall away. Because Jesus knows you're going to do one thing or the other. You're going to press on and you're going to believe in faith or you're going to fall away from him. One or the other is going to happen. It is knowing and it is trusting God's word. 
that equips us and enables us to press through that in-between season and not to fall away from him in it. Again, Jesus said, all of this I have told you so you will not fall away. So how do we not fall away? By what Jesus said. It is God's word. It is God's word that is like that compass. It's like that GPS voice when you don't know where you're at and you're scared and you're alone and you've never been in this place before. God's word is that GPS telling you, this is the way, walk in it, right? And it's okay if you veer to the left or the right or you go backwards, he'll redirect you, you know? Um, you know, my GPS, sometimes it says make a legal U-turn. And Becky's like, because mm, I'm not, I'm not going to drive the whole way down there and go the whole way around that block. I'm just like, ah! you know, she said it didn't say make an illegal U-turn. It said make a legal. There's a difference. Anyways, it's fun driving with me sometimes. I don't know. Jesus said this. He said, life is going to be peachy when you start following me. You're going to live an abundant life, no worries, no anxiety, no cares. Everything's going to be a-okay, okie-dokie if you follow me, right? No, he didn't say that at all. He said this in verse 2. People are going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to kick you out of church because of Jesus. Whew, it happens in America today. People are going to kick you out kick you out in fact the time is coming when people are going to kill you and they are going to think they are offering a service to god they will do these things because they don't know the father or me jesus said i have told you this so that when the time comes you will remember that i warned you about these things i didn't tell you this from the beginning but now i'm going to tell you because I'm about to go back to him who sent me. None of you asks, none of you ask me, where are you going? You see, this is kind of bothering Jesus. Jesus kept warning them that he's going to leave them. He's going to leave them. I'm going to leave you. And no one cared to think about it. He's like, none of you even ask me where I'm going, right? He was concerned about this. He said, rather, you're just filled with grief because I said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Do you see what's happening here? His disciples, whenever they realize that Jesus is going to leave them, they're overwhelmed with their emotion, and they're walking by what they feel, not by what Jesus said. They're overwhelmed with grief, and so it keeps them stuck. They're not looking ahead to be like, okay, well, Jesus, where are you going? Because where you're going, that's where I want to be. I want to be with you, Lord. Instead, they were concerned that they were getting left behind. And, and so they, they never even asked him where he's going. But Jesus said, it's actually good that you're in this place. And a lot of times when we're in that in-between place, it doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel good at all. But yet Jesus said it was actually for their good that Jesus was leaving them. Because he says, unless I go, the advocate will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and when he comes he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and about judgment the world's wrong about these three things and do you know what the world is still wrong today about these three things still in the wrong jesus said and he explained it here it's a good sermon three-point sermon here that jesus gave in verse 9 he said they're wrong about sin because people don't believe in me. They're wrong about righteousness. And he said, because I'm going to the Father. 
where you can see me no longer. And the third thing, and about judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And who was the prince of the world? Satan himself, prince of darkness. He stood condemned. Jesus said, I have all kinds of things to say to you, but you can't bear it. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. Like that GPS unit. He will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. And he'll glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So do you see why it's better to have Jesus? Because Jesus could physically be with Chad, but I ain't always with Chad. I'm rarely ever with Chad, right? It's better that Jesus leaves them physically so that he can be with everybody all the time through the Holy Spirit. So that his presence could be with us. Jesus said the Spirit will speak what Jesus is saying. It's better to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus in the flesh. It's a hard time thing to believe sometimes, all right? I'd, I'd really like Jesus just to pop in here and show up and tell me what to do. But he said, it's better that I have the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus went on and he said that everything that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive from me what I make known to you. So what is it that Jesus knows that he will make known to us? everything he knows everything there's nothing hidden from him and then it says jesus went on to say in a little while you'll see me no more but then after a little while you'll see me so you see me now you're not going to see me for a little while and then you'll see me again and what were they worried about verse 17 they're like what is this guy talking about he's lost his mind he is off his rocker like what is happening here it said some of his disciples were talking to each other. What does he mean by saying this? In a little while you'll see me no more. And then after a little while you'll see me again. And, and, and because I'm going to the Father, they, they kept asking, what does this mean in a little while? We don't understand what you're saying. But did they ask Jesus this? No, they were asking each other this. Right? How often do we go to each other, you know, with our confusion? And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. That's the purpose of the church so we can ask each other questions and learn and grow together. But sometimes we get so caught up in our own knowledge and our own ability and our own understanding, we forget to ask Jesus. How often do you ever stop with somebody and be like, you know what? Let's dig into this thing. What does it say? What does Jesus say about it, right? How often do we do that? Not very often. Usually we rely on our own understanding and our own knowledge and our own let's figure this thing out, right? It's the America way, isn't it? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and figure it out, huh? There's nothing wrong with that, but what if Jesus just told you what is going on? What if Jesus just did it for you? What if you just ask him, right? So Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this because they were arguing with each other about it. And he said to them, are you asking each other what I meant when I, get this? Are you asking each other what I meant when I said this? I'm right here. Hello. <laughs> you know, they weren't getting it. And so he said, are you asking each other what I meant when I said, in a little while I'll see you no longer, and then in a little while you'll see me. Very truly, I tell you, you're going to weep. You're going to mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. You know, we see that happening in the world today. Some of the things the world is rejoicing about, and they think is progress, and they think is forward. And we are grieved by it. They're going backwards. You're going the wrong way. You're not taking us forward. 
Do you not see the destruction you're leading us into? So we grieve for a season, but Jesus said, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain. A amen, Shannon? Any pain experienced by any means? <laughs> Whew, Jesus knew what he was talking about, even though he never gave birth, right? He knew what he was talking about. He said, because her time has come. But when the baby's born, she forgets about all that anguish because of her joy that this child is born into the world. So it is with you. You'll have a time of grief, of mourning. And that grief comes even when the child is born, right? You know, you, you suffer depression. But even then, that, those things will fade away and get swallowed up by the joy of this new life and, and what it's going to do into the world. Jesus said, so it is with you in verse 22. Now's the time of grief, but you'll see, again, you will rejoice. <laughs> and when you rejoice in that time, no one will take away your joy. Verse 22, no one will be able to steal away your joy. You see, often in that in-between place, we experience that, that grief, that mourning. We, we just know the pain that we're suffering. We suffered loss, and we don't see God in the midst of it, and we don't understand what he's up to. However, Jesus is always right there with us. He is there with us in the in-between, even though we don't see him, even though we don't feel him. He is there. And in fact, when the disciples were in that in-between place of the resurrection of Jesus back to life from death, and the day of Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit, Jesus just kept on showing up. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. Jesus is always right there with us too. I often wonder how often Jesus is like literally right there with us, but we just don't see him. We just don't understand it. Like, like Jacob, he came to realize along his journey, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And yet I was unaware. I was unaware. And that might be us this morning. We're questioning, wondering, God, where are you? Are you even for real? And yet he's right there with us and for us. We just don't see it. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke wrote this, and he said that um, after his suffering, Jesus has gone through what you've gone through, right? We have a great high priest who can fully empathize with us. After his own suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke with them about the kingdom of God. Again, the word of God. He kept reminding them his word, his word, his word. That's what he kept doing to get them through that in-between season until the fulfillment of the promise came to pass. And we find one of these instances. We're going to read a few of these here in Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 53. So buckle in. Here we go through the word of God. So Jesus had just died and rose again. Because Mary, Mary, Mary said so, right? The, the triple Marys, they, you know, all the Marys that were hanging out with Jesus. Um, they said that he was alive. He appeared to them right there at the grave with these angels and everything, you know. And they told the dudes, and the dudes are like, yeah, right, whatever. You know, you, the ladies are flaky. Uh, they just didn't believe it. So on that same day, the same day that all this happened, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you guys remember what Jesus said to do. He told them to stay in the city. And what did the guys decide to do? I don't need these dang directions. I'll do it myself, right? They're heading to Emmaus. 
says that they were walking and they were talking to each other about everything that just happened. Sometimes that's a good thing to do. You know what? When you're in the midst of it, get outside the house. Go for a walk. Clear your head. And that's what they were doing. They were taking a walk they're, and they're talking about all this stuff that happened. And as they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus was right there with them, talking with them, walking with them. But it says here, this little key verse in 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. You see, Jesus has a reason, a purpose for being with us, but not letting us see it. It seems like such a cruel, mean thing to do, doesn't it? Seems mean and cruel, you know, but I know there's been a couple of times when, you know, I'm, I'm trusting my kids to go do something, and I actually hang out and kind of watch them. They don't know I'm there, but I'm watching, you know, because if things go south, I want to be able to rush in real quick to save them, you know, like, you know, trying to teach Nate how to work on the car and everything, and, you know, it just, did he get that jack stand just right, or, you know, <laughs> is it going to fall on him, you know? You're nearby, you watch what's happening, just, just so you, you can save him if things go bad, but you keep your distance, so they think they're alone, they think they're doing it on their own, you know, that Jesus does this. He has a purpose for being with us and yet not letting us know about it, because he desires us to walk by faith and not by sight, Right? He, he desires us to trust. He wants us to be real and genuine. He wants us to live lives of integrity all the time. And as we're soon going to see, what Jesus often does when we're in that in-between and he's not there, although we think he's not there, is he draws things out of us. He draws out our doubts. It's okay, let them out. He wants to squelch them with his truth. And he wants us to rely on his word and what he said, right? Anybody who's ever been through workplace training, isn't that how it, how it happens, you know? They show you what to do, they tell you what to do, and then they step back and you do it on your own. So that, so that they know that you heard, you understood, and that you can do this thing on your own, right? It's no different with the kingdom of God. He trains us, he equips us. Sometimes he leaves us on our own, at least we think we're on our own, um, to walk these things out. And so th that's exactly what Jesus is doing. So that we, we lean on what we know of the Lord and less on our own understanding, our own senses. And then Jesus asked them, what are you guys discussing as you're walking? They stood still. Their faces were downcast. And one of them finally was bold enough to speak up. He's like, are you the only one here who doesn't know the things that just happened in the last few days? And then again, Jesus is drawing out of them what they know. He said, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests, our very own rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's now the third day since all this took place. And then some of our women, they amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they couldn't find his body. They came and they told us that they seen this vision of angels, right? Who said that he was alive. Some of our other companions, they went to the tomb and found it just the way the women said. They couldn't find Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish are you? How slow are you to believe everything that the prophets have spoken? Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and through all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures about himself. Again, Jesus took them back to the word. What does the word say? What is it is written have to say about all these things? Do you not remember? Are you so foolish to not bring back to recollection what you know, what has been said? It says, as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued as if though he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay here with us because it's evening. Day's almost over. They didn't, they didn't have flashlights back then, if, if you didn't know. When it got dark, it's time to go in the house, you know. You're not going to be out and about in the uh, dark, the pitch black, there were no street lights. So he went in to stay with them. And they still had no idea. They just thought this dude was just full of himself. He just knew all these things about the Bible, you know. Whippity-doo, you know. Do you, do you still not realize what happened here? And Jesus is like, yeah, but the word says. And they're like, but, uh, because they were overcome with grief. Grief. Is a good thing. Just ask Charlie Brown, right? Good grief. I mean, it, it can be a good thing. But the enemy can use grief to blind us to what we know, what, what is true. In fact, the Word of God tells us that our grief is coupled with hope. That's the difference between believers and non-believers. We grieve the same as the world grieves, but our grief should be coupled with hope. Because God said, right? Isn't that where our hope comes from? Because God said this. I'm hurting right now. I have no idea where God is or why he's letting me go through this. But I know God said. And so it says in verse 30 that when he was at them with the table, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Does that sound familiar? Anybody ever hear that story, that account, right? Communion, the Passover, the Last Supper. Where Da Vinci painted them all on the same side of the table, right? You guys know what, what we're talking about here? Yeah. Then they realized, oh, they recognized him. And as soon as they recognized him, poof, he disappeared from their sight. He literally just disappeared from their sight. As soon as they recognized him. How cool is that? I just love it. Anyways. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? When he opened the scriptures to us. You see, Jesus was preparing them to trust that inner voice. Because that is where the Holy Spirit was going to dwell. That is how the Holy Spirit was going to declare the, the, the truths that Jesus was going to share with us. And, and remind us of the word so that he guided and, and led us. It's through the Holy Spirit inside they needed to rely more on that and less on their own senses. Because as they just seen, they were literally with Jesus that whole time and they didn't know it. Don't rely on what you see. Walk by faith and not by sight, right? Jesus also showed up because they were wandering far away from his plans for them. They were literally seven miles away. They were physically running the opposite direction from where Jesus told them to be. So he showed up and he redirected them. He instructed them to stay in Jerusalem, but there they were. So as soon as he opened their eyes to see, and they realized that this was Jesus, what did they do? Boom, verse 33. They got up, and at once they returned to Jerusalem. They didn't care that it was jet black night out there, and there were all kinds of criminals waiting to rob them. They didn't care. They hightailed it back to Jerusalem. Seven miles. That, that's a long way to walk in the dark. It really is. So they headed back. And, um, and it says that they found the eleven and those who were with them all assembled together. And they said, it's true. Jesus has risen. He has appeared. Then the two of them told what happened on the way. 
and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about all this, Jesus showed up right there in the midst of them. Jesus literally showed up. He stood among them and he said, peace be with you. They were startled. They were frightened. They thought they saw a ghost. And he said, why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise in your minds? There ain't no such thing as ghosts. Is that what he said? No. no. So think about that one for a very long time. Especially when you're laying in bed at night and, and you're not sure. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus said, ghosts, they don't have flesh and bone like I do. They don't have flesh and bone like I do. He, you know, he said, feel my hands, feel my feet. He said, it is I. I am here myself. Touch and see. I've got flesh and bones just like you have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still didn't believe it because of their joy and their amazement, and again, their emotions, your emotions will cause doubt. Don't rely on your emotions. Man, do they lie to you. Don't rely on it. I remember when, when our kids are first learning to drive, every time that they went out, what happens? You, the, the phone rings and you assume worst case scenario, don't you? Fear grips you, you know? Don't believe the lies that your emotions are speaking to you. They're, they're literally standing there with Jesus and they don't believe it. Why? Because of joy and amazement and grief and it's just, they're, they're a mess. They're, they're just a, a hot mess. And yet Jesus is right there with them. And I love what he says. He says, got anything to eat? <laughs> and so they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it there in his presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Again, we got to rely on what God says, not on what we feel, not on what we see. He said everything has to be fulfilled about what was written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms. Because no word of God will ever fail, will it? No word of God will ever fail. But your emotions, they will fail you, they will lead you astray. What you think is right, you'll be wrong. Guarantee it's going to happen. we got to stand on his word. Then it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds and then they could understand the scriptures. He told them this was what was written, that the Messiah would suffer. He'd rise from the death on the third day. And the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning here in Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Then it says, when he left them out, led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was still blessing them, he was taken up into heaven. They worshipped him. They returned to, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. You see, not only was their faith increased, not only was their faith increased, but it equipped them with a boldness and a courage to go straight into the temple and to praise God. Publicly, verbally, they were praising God right there in the temple. They went to the very place where their enemies dwelt. They worshipped Jesus before the very ones who had just crucified him three days later. And their plans were to silence those disciples as well. And they knew it. 
In fact, we're going to read about that here in a few verses. They knew that these men were out to kill them, to silence them, whatever it took. But when they were in that in-between place and they allowed faith to arise because of what Jesus said, they were able to stand right before their enemies and praise the very one whom they killed. Fearless. There was a courage that rose up within them. And then we're going to end on this account to let that, that faith arise. It says here that uh, Jesus appeared to his disciples in John chapter 20 verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, so we got three days later here, when the disciples were together, it says that they locked their doors in fear of the Jewish leaders. And this is, again, John's account of what just happened in, was it Luke that I read from? Yeah, Luke. This is John's account of what happened that Luke had just shared with us about. It says that they were fearful of the Jewish leaders. They locked their doors. They were hiding. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Same account, just different guy's perspective. And it says that after Jesus said this, he showed him his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he's sending you as well. As the Father sent Jesus out into the world to share the good news, to bring healing and deliverance, to, to cast out demons, right? To do all those things Jesus is sending you and I. And it says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Power and authority to forgive sins. That's, whew, wow, he trusted these guys. But it says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was also one of the twelve. But he wasn't with the disciples that night when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, you know what? Unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where those nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, I won't believe. A week later, his disciples, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them this time. And even though the doors were locked again, Jesus stood there. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, put your finger here in my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. So is Jesus afraid of your doubts? Is he afraid that, that you're, you don't believe in him? No. He will give many convincing proofs. He is right there with you and for you. You just got to be willing to reach out your hands and feel for it. He's there. He's there. He is with you. He is for you. Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me and you believe, you're blessed. But blessed also are all of those who have not seen me and yet still believe. And that's most of us here this morning have never seen Jesus face to face in the flesh. But yet we believe in him. It says in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that aren't even recorded in the books. But Jesus did these things. And these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. 
So you see, many of us are in that in-between, in that in-between season. But that doesn't mean that we are alone. And that certainly doesn't mean that that is our final destination. All that we read this morning about Jesus, it was written... It was written so that we might believe it, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. It was written so that simply by believing in his name, we might have life, life abundant in the name of Jesus. And, and although the disciples were in that in-between of the resurrection and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring was on its way. And it is no different with you and I this morning. We may be in that in-between, but Jesus is on his way. He is going to come to our rescue. He is going to come to provide whatever it is that we need. He is on his way. We just got to believe in him and trust in him. Even though we don't see him, even though we don't feel him, even though all the evidence is stacked against him, the evidence is coming. The evidence is coming. Now, he made Thomas wait for a week. Made him wait for a week until he showed up. But you know what's really cool to think about? Jesus knew Thomas's doubt. That means Jesus was there. He heard what Thomas said about him. Then, why else would he say that? Thomas said, unless I feel the hole in his hand and put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Why would Jesus show up and be like, hey, put your finger in, in the hole in my hand. Oh, that was so gross to think about. But anyways, and put your hand in my side, you know. He said, come on, do it. Why would he say those things unless Jesus was right there with Thomas in his doubts? So hang in there. I don't know if it's going to be a day. I don't know if it's going to be a week. I don't know if it's going to be as you're walking out these doors. But hang in there. Persevere. Press on. Let faith arise. Because Jesus is on his way. It reminds me of Elijah. He saw nothing but drought. He saw nothing but opposition, impossibility. Nothing but a drought for three and a half years. Not a drop of rain. Nothing to give him hope. But then he saw a cloud in the sky the size of a man's hand. I didn't know how he saw that thing. And that's all he needed to see. That was the evidence that the rain was coming. It was about to pour. And as surely as he spoke it, the heavens rained down on him, rained down on the land, taking away that dryness, that aridness. And how much more will Jesus pour out his Holy Spirit on us in those dry places when we don't see him and we don't feel him, when all we're doing is trusting in what he said, if we keep trusting in what he said, the outpouring will come. It is on its way. He will prove himself with many convincing proofs. He is alive. He is risen. And he is faithful. His love endures forever. He will prove himself. The time is coming. Hang in there. So let's pray together. So Jesus, you know where each one of us are at right now. You know the doubts in our hearts. We all have them about something. You know the concerns that are weighing heavy on our mind. You know, Jesus, even how angry we get with you at times. And we are waiting and waiting, waiting for it to come to pass. But it doesn't seem like it's happening. Jesus, forgive us. 
forgive us for wavering in doubt and not standing firmly in faith on your solid rock, your word. Forgive us for not standing firmly on who we know you are. That you have never failed us before and you will not fail us this time either, Lord. Your promise is coming. Your promise is coming. Help us to stand on it in faith, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. Help us not to rely on our own understanding. Help us to walk not by sight, but by faith in what you have said, Jesus. So that we can be the evidence as it is fulfilled in our lives for the next person who is in that in-between place in that same area. Jesus, help us to open our mouths and to give you praise, even as the disciples did in front of the enemy. Jesus, though we are sick and diseased, we will declare that you are the healer and we will give you praise for it. Lord, even though we are depressed and oppressed and full of anxiety, we will proclaim that, Jesus, you are our peace. You are our joy. Lord, even though we are broken, we have no idea how we're going to make ends meet. Jesus, we will honor you and glorify you, our provider. Whatever it is, Lord, we will, like those disciples, stand in the temple and declare your praise right in the face of the enemy. Because that we know you, Jesus, who promised is faithful. And your faithfulness is not dependent on my faithfulness. For you are the eternal God. You stand forever. You will give many convincing proofs, Lord. But let my life be one of them. Let my dry season end in a testimony of your goodness and faithfulness, Lord. But until that time, we will proclaim your greatness and your goodness, Lord. Thank you for that coming rain, that outpouring, that outpouring, Lord. Pour out your spirit in this community. And Lord, let it start with your church, your bride, so that we are whole and complete, lacking nothing. Stir up revival here in our hearts. Burn away our doubts, Lord, until only faith and hope remain. In your name, Jesus.